greet each one in Christ's name this morning. It's been a blessing to been here already this morning, our Sunday school class, as we looked at praise and thanksgiving to God. Certainly he's done so much for us, and he's worthy our praise. I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians <clears throat> chapter 4. I'd like to read the first verse, and this will be our text verse this morning. Ephesians 4, 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. The title of the message this morning is Walking Worthy of the Vocation Wherewith Ye Are Called. Now, we are called to follow Christ. We've heard already this morning someone has responded to that call. Second uh, Timothy 1 9, God, it says that God who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. So God has saved us and he has called us. Hebrews 3.1 says, Holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. It's a calling from God, from heaven. 1 Thessalonians 2.12, That ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. He has called us, and he's calling us to walk worthy. And Colossians 1.10, That ye might walk worthy of the Lord, being fruitful, increasing in the knowledge of God. Here it talks of walking worthy, and then how do we do that? By being fruitful, increasing in the knowledge of God. So this has been a challenge to me, it is a challenge to me, to ask myself the question, am I walking worthy of the Lord? Now, worthy, that word means after a godly sort or in a godly manner. And the word vocation, uh, we hear it today, we think of our job, but it's not talking about our job here. The word vocation means calling. And so this morning we're talking about walking worthy of the calling that we're called to. And the challenge is, are we walking in a godly manner, after a godly sort, in relation to our calling? And so we're called to Christ. Uh, we do have other callings, responsibilities, of course, in life. And I think this includes those uh, things that God calls us to in our homes, our jobs, in the church, uh, the challenge is also there. Are we walking worthy of what God has called us to, whatever that may be? Now, this morning is Palm Sunday. Uh, we may not think about it is, but uh, it is Palm Sunday, and next Sunday is Easter. And uh, the way it looks, if it keeps happening like it's been happening, we might have a, a white Easter. 
but time is moving on, and so I want to look at uh, a few verses in relation to Palm Sunday and think of the great example of Christ. So I invite you to turn to John chapter 12. I want to look at this, and then we'll come back to Ephesians 4 for the rest of the message. Jesus is the greatest example to us, of course, and as we're thinking of walking worthy this morning, uh, Jesus was a great example of walking worthy of the calling that he was called to. And as we think of the week before the crucifixion, uh, verse 1 of chapter 12 of John says it was six days before the Passover, so about a week before the Passover, the crucifixion is the setting here. And I'll read then verses 12 through 16. It says, On the next day much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna! Blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, set, set thereupon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh riding on an ass's coat. These things understood not his disciples at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. We see in verse 13 that Jesus was worthy of praise and honor. As he came into Jerusalem, they spread out their palm trees, branches. Uh, they went forth to meet him, and they cried, Blessed is the king of Israel. And so he was worthy of their honor and praise. And now let's go over to verse 23, and I'll read down through verse 32. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people therefore that stood by and heard it said, It thundered. Others said, An angel spake. To him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. When Jesus came to this time, he said, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. You remember many times things happened and he said that it's not his time yet. His hour has not come. But here now as he approaches uh, Passover, 
is coming soon. He says the hour is come. And so Jesus uh, was approaching the hour of his uh, fulfillment of his mission, the fulfillment of his calling that he was called to. And he submitted to the Father, verse 27. He said, Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. And so Jesus submitted himself to God in the calling that he was called to. And then it talks about the voice that came from heaven. And uh, I see that as a confirmation of who Jesus was and what he was going to do. Uh, he said that voice was not for him, but it was for those that were listening, that they would understand that this is the Christ, the one who has came to give his life. And then he says there that uh, if in verse 32, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And I see that there is, is his calling to us. We're talking about being called this morning, being worthy of the call that God has placed on our life. This is the call. When Jesus was crucified and lifted up on the cross, uh, we are called to Christ to come to him in salvation and accepting what he has done for us. Also mentions here in these verses that we are to die to self, we are to... Uh, die and give up ourself and to serve God. Verse 26, if any man serve me, let him follow me. Where I am, there also my servant will be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. And so we're called to Christ. We're called to serve him. And it says here, if we serve him, then God will honor us. And I think that's a tremendous uh, calling that we have as we think of this morning of walking worthy of the calling that God has placed upon our lives. If we walk worthy of that calling, he will honor us and he will uh, give us the strength to live as he would desire us to live. And so this morning... Walking worthy of our calling, Jesus here was a tremendous example of that. He, uh, he struggled with what he had to go through, and yet he submitted to God, and he walked worthy of that call, and he fulfilled that calling, and he was faithful unto the end. May that challenge us, uh, especially as we come to this time of the year, as we think of his death, his resurrection, it should help us to um, strive to live lives that are worthy of what he has called us to. Now let's go back to Ephesians 4. I'd like to look at this chapter. Uh, I'm not going to read it for sake of time, but we'll be reading some of the verses as we go through here. And uh, as I looked at this verse 1, this whole chapter just seemed to explain to us how to walk worthy of our calling. Uh, I've been challenged in this, in my own walk, in my walking worthy uh, of what God has called me to. 
And, uh, you know, when you hear of, of deaths, uh, Mylon's brother was 90 years old. Charlotte is, I guess, maybe in her mid-20s. Uh, there's, death is no respecter of persons. But am I walking worthy if it would be me? Uh, we were on a trip recently, and on that trip we heard of a lot of churches that are having troubles and problems and divisions. And as I heard some of that, I had the question, you know, in all that, are, are these people walking worthy of their callings? You just have to wonder about that. And so let's look at this chapter and consider the walking, our walking and are we walking worthy of the calling that God has called us to. First thing I want to look at is, is how we should walk as we're thinking of walking worthy. How or how should we walk or how do we walk in being worthy of the calling of God. Verse 2 and 3 we want to look at first. It starts out there with, we're to walk worthy with all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is how we are to walk in our lives, with lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearance, in love. And I don't think we have to explain the meaning of those words. They're pretty self-explanatory. I think we know what they mean. And then it says, endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That endeavor carries the thought of making effort. Am I making effort to keep the unity? When you think of unity, that's not something you can do yourself. It takes more than one to be unified. And so as we're thinking of unity, then it says, am I making effort uh, to keep unity of the spirit in the bond of peace? Also note there the word bond, the bond of peace. And uh, when there's unity among the brotherhood and you have peace, it, it seems like there is a bond there. Uh, that being peaceful, there's a bond that surrounds us that keeps us uh, in the unity of the spirit. And I was blessed by that thought, that that peace uh, gives us a bond. As I thought about these two verses, uh, I was reminded of the fruits of the Spirit and just backed up a few pages here in Galatians chapter 5, we have that. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Very similar words as what we have here. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit. And speaking of unity, it speaks of unity there in verse uh, 3. Then it goes on in verses 4 to 6. It talks a little more about unity here. It says there is one body, one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father, and one God and Father of all, 
who is above all and through all and in you all. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father. And as I read that, I had to think, if that's the case, then why is there so many different churches? Now, we need churches in different places, but why is it so many different churches in the same place? Well, of course, we need, we can't all be in one big church. But even in our Anabaptist circles, it seems like in places it's just more and more of division and separation uh, and more churches springing up in places. Uh, and yet if you, would, if you talk to some of them, some of them would say, well, we, we, you know, we believe the same things. We, we, we believe the same doctrine. And yet it seems like it's hard for them to get along. And as I thought of that, it just seems like there is a, a lack of, of unity sometimes in our walk. Uh, just a few pages forward here in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1.27, Paul said, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. At last phrase there really stands out to me. Stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. There's one spirit and should be one mind, and we're striving together. Um, that's what we're called to, striving together for the faith of the gospel. We're talking this morning about walking worthy of our calling. And that verse speaks again of unity, striving together. And as I think of, of uh, unity in our churches and working together, uh, and as I look across, uh, sometimes when you travel and hear of other places and some of the problems they're having, I really think uh, a lack of unity in our churches is, is having its effect on young people today. I know of a group uh, in another state that some years ago they divided. It was a group that, that pulled out of a church. They disagreed with some of the things, that were, how it was being operated and how it was being done. And so they started another church, and uh, they've had some problems there too. But actually right now that second church is growing. You know, there's people coming in identifying with that church and uh, I understand at times they can have as many as 80 people on Sunday mornings but it's interesting 
uh, you go to that church and you don't see any young people. I think there's one young person at that church and they're actually serving somewhere else. Uh, so there's, there's no youth. And I, I really believe that part of the reason for that is when that church was going through its struggles and this group left, there was a lack of respect for authority. Uh, and the young people saw that. And I believe that has, a, has had a tremendous effect on that group. Uh, their young people have left. Recently I heard uh, a testimony of a man. Uh, his life story actually is what we heard. And uh, he's actually now a minister in a church similar to ours. He grew up in an Anabaptist circle. But his, his story was very interesting. Um, he lived in an Anabaptist family, and his father had taken the family, or they lived for some time in Central America. And this, this uh, man, as he, brother, as he was giving his testimony, he lived in Central America until he was five years old. And then his father took the family to Indiana, and I don't know what kind of church they were a part of there, but it was a very plain church, and in that church, they did not teach the new birth. And so eventually took the family from there and moved to Michigan. Uh, I'm not sure what church he was a part of there, but uh, he didn't like what he saw there, and so then he started home churching. And uh, this man said he was, you know, he was now a teenager. And so his dad home church for a while. In other words, it would be just a family or two come together. And then they couldn't get along, so one family would leave, and then they'd home church with another family. Eventually then they went with the charity movement. And, and after that, they actually went and fellowshiped with other different churches. Anyway, that's how this young fellow grew up. And so you can imagine by the time he was a teenager, he was totally turned off with churches. Uh, he became a loner, but it was something, something about that man that's interesting because it did seem, uh, irregardless of how his life was in relation to churches, he had some kind of a deep down desire for God and to serve God. And so when he was 18 or 19 years old, he actually became a Christian out in the hayfield. Uh, you know, he felt God's call in his life, and, and he responded to that call. And so then he wanted to be baptized, and uh, his father wanted to do that, and he didn't think that was proper. And so he, uh, he just waited until the next time one of the leaders of, of one of the churches was in the area, and so he requested baptism, and he was baptized. And so he was growing in his faith, and, and then some of his family invited him to come to another state because they saw that he was struggling, you know, in this thing of church. and So they wanted to help him. He went to this 
other state, and they helped him, and there he started going to this church, and it was a very good church, and he appreciated it, and so then he requested to join that church. You know, things were kind of coming together. Well, they kind of knew his background, and so they said, well, yeah, we'd like to have you in our church, but we don't agree with the group that baptized you, and so you have to be rebaptized. And so you can imagine what that did. That sent him again on a downward spiral about churches. Um, and he said, and this is the best I could remember, at that time then in his life, this is what he was thinking or this is what he had in his mind. Is there a church anywhere that teaches and practices like Jesus and the apostles did in the New Testament? That was his question. And I, you know, I think that's a, a valid question. Uh, he, he, was, he was struggling in his life, and he wondered, is there a church anywhere that really teaches and practices like the New Testament teaches? Well, long story short, he later found a good church. He got married, and it wasn't too long after that he was ordained to the ministry. But I, I tell that story to help us to understand that I think it really takes working together with leadership and laity, uh, walking worthy means striving together in the brotherhood, working together. Um, these verses that we read here in the first part of this chapter with lowliness and meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, it takes working together of everyone. If we expect our, our young people to support us and to support the church, and I believe the best thing we can do for our children is to find a good church and support it in the way that that's given in these verses. The, the thing of unity and and striving together. Uh, if we support a church, our family will see that. But if we're half-hearted in our support to the church, I think the children will be likewise. If we don't lock into a church, neither will our children. And having said all that, I, I say this too, I think there are times when we do need to make a change uh, in order to follow a biblical fellowship, to follow biblical principles, there may be times when we have to make a change. And then we have verse 7. If we come to a place where we <clears throat> have to make changes or we're struggling with this thing of unity and, and brotherhood, verse 7 says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And that's a blessing to me. Whatever we face... Whatever we feel God is calling us to, he gives us grace to do what we need to do. And I'm thankful for that. All right, now I'd like to look at five practical areas from this uh, chapter uh, that can help us in walking worthy. The first one 
is we need to walk worthy in our gifts. We see this in verses 11 to 13. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now this list here seems to be more gifts for the church, and yet as we go through here, he's talking to everybody as a whole, and so I think we can broaden it to all of our gifts. In fact, if you go to 1 Corinthians 12, that whole chapter talks about the gifts, uh, and that's good reading in relation to gifts. And it's actually there it has a list of gifts, and it starts out like this one, but it goes on to other gifts. And so I think we can broaden this out because also in verse 13 it talks about till we all come in the unity of the faith. Uh, but in our gifts, we need to allow God to use our gifts for his honor and his glory and for the good of the church. And I was reminded of an example I heard recently uh, in thinking of, of using our gifts. Uh, a young man is involved in, in outreach in another country, and I was talking to his father and asked him a little bit about his son's interests. You know, how did it develop? And he said, well, his son always had interest in people and reaching out, and he was always the type to seek someone to talk to. Uh, he said his, his other children would be out playing ball, but this son was wanting to talk to someone and uh, share his faith. And so, you know, here was a person, I believe, that took his gifts serious. He pursued God's direction, and now he's helping people in other countries find Christ. And so in our gifts, let's walk worthy um, Let's pursue God's will in our life and then walk in it, whatever that gift or that direction is. Now, why do we have gifts? Why do we have different gifts and personalities and talents? I think we find that in verse 12. It's for the perfect, perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so how am I using my gifts and my talents? Is it for the furtherance of the kingdom? Is it to help the church? Uh, these are questions I think we need to ask. And verse 13 uh, again points to unity in the faith till we all come in the unity of the faith in the knowledge of God to the perfect man to the fullness of Christ. That's walking worthy and I think as I think of gifts uh, again an, an example I heard of recently that was kind of sad to hear but heard of a church that's been having a lot of troubles and difficulties in another state and uh, it seems like maybe most of the problems was amongst the ministry but we were told recently that and they had like four or five ministers. Uh, we were told recently that one by one, the ministers quit preaching. 
And then recently a man from the community that had been attending their church for a number of years, he wanted to join the church. He decided he wanted to become a part of their fellowship. But there was no minister to give him direction. There was no minister, active minister to help him become a part of the church. And I thought, well, that's sad. Uh, are we walking worthy of the calling that God has called us to? May we be faithful in what God has called each of us to. The second area is we need to walk worthy in maturing in our spiritual life. Verse 14 and 15 speak to this. It says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things which is the head, even Christ. Now, I don't know if you've probably heard this before, but you've probably heard the statement, well, don't act like a child. Why don't you just grow up? Well, it's kind of what it's saying here. It says that we should henceforth no more uh, be no more children. And what does it say here? How does this child walk? He's tossed to and fro. He's carried about or follows every doctrine that comes by. Uh, Another translation gives a little more meaning. By the fraud of men involves trickery and it ends in deception. That's what verse 14 is saying. And again, as I read that verse, I thought of another example uh, in in one community uh, where a minister and, and some of the followers left the church they had different opinions, and they left this church, did their own thing, and as I read this verse, it describes them almost to a T. Uh, they followed some strange doctrines, uh, and, and today, that minister that left that church and started his own, and he later started another church, Today, he sits at home. He doesn't even go to church. And some of the people that follow him are doing the same. To me, that was a road that ended in deception, as verse 14 would say. But now, verse 15 and 16, how does a person that is growing up or is maturing in Christ, how does he live? It says, he speaks the truth in love. Christ is his head. The body is joined together, speaks of unity. Every joint helps, speaks of gifts, and every part is working, and it edifies the body in love. Verse 16 then gives the example of the human body, how that the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. A a tremendous picture 
we all know how the body works. Uh, some of us have had some joints and things that don't want to work too good. And you know how that affects the body. It's the same way in the church. Every part working, uh, it edifies the body in love. It's a tremendous picture of how the body of Christ should work. Another sign of maturing, uh, of our maturity in Christ, is that we don't walk like the world or the heathen. And we see this in verse 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. This word vanity carries the thought of depravity uh, or morally bad. We're not to have that kind of a mindset. Verse 18 further describes that. Having the understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Their understanding is darkened, they're alienated from God because of ignorance, and they have blindness of heart. As I read that, you know, all at once you realize, you know, well, it doesn't have to be this way. It's actually, if we live that way, it's our own fault because it says that we're alienated from God because of ignorance. If I'm ignorant, that's my own fault. Blindness of heart or hardness, that's something we do. And then verse 19, it says, being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness, to walk all uncleanness with greediness. And so these are things that uh, if we find ourselves in these areas, it's things that we have done ourselves. You know, a lot of times we like to blame someone else, but the ignorance and hardness and giving themselves, that's stuff that we do. Verse 20 says, we have not so learned Christ. That's not the way Christ would want us to live. A person that's walking worthy of the Lord does not live like that. Verse 21 goes on to say, If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. So there's where we get our knowledge, our understanding. We're taught by God, by Christ, we allow him to teach us, we follow him, not the uh, depravity of our mind, not the evil mind that we're born with. All right, the third area is we walk worthy. Uh, walking worthy includes putting off and putting on. We find this in verse 22 and 24. That you put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. In verse 24, and that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Putting on and putting off, it's a continual thing. It's not a one-time thing. And I think... Old and new Christians need to understand that. Uh, you know, sometimes we think, well, if we 
confess our sins, we make things right with God, then we're, we're good to go. But we have to continue to put off and to put on. And so as I read the rest of these verses, 22 through 32, throughout these verses, uh, he tells in a lot of those verses things to put off and then things to put on. And I don't know about you, but it helps me to make a list my mind works better if I see it in lists. So I just made a list here of the what we are to put off and what we're to put on. It may save time in, in reading some of this. but So I'll, I'll read that. The, the list here from these verses that we're to put off, the old man, is, includes lust, lying, wrath, stealing, bad communication, grieving the spirit, bitterness, anger, clamor, evil speaking, and malice. These are the things we're to put off. And then to put on, the new man includes righteousness, holiness, speak truth, labor to help, give to others, words that edify and minister grace, kindness, to be tenderhearted, and forgiveness. Putting off and putting on I believe we'll do that until the day we die. I remember a, a bishop brother some years ago told me, he said, you know, sometimes we have a problem and we work through it and we work at it and we seek the Lord and finally we get victory. And we kind of, oh, now I'm good to go. But... Satan is real, and he knows that, and he's going to slide something else in soon that's probably totally different from the problem we just worked through. And so we need to be aware that this thing of putting on and putting off is a lifelong thing. Probably the oldest person you meet this a Christian, if you talk to him, he'll probably say he's still putting off and putting on. Well, how do we do that? Verse 23, I think, answers that question. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Renewed in the spirit of your mind. This word renewed uh, carries the thought of renovate or reform. And so we have to make a change in our mind, in our mind. We have to change the way that we think. Contrast this verse with verse 17. Uh, we're not to walk in the vanity of our mind, in the depravity of our mind, but we are to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Now I think this is pointing to God's spirit. We're to have God's spirit in our mind, not the old nature. Verse 24, talking of the new man, I think can be the new nature. And as we change our mind setting, our mind, the way it thinks, it becomes a lifestyle then. We learn to think differently. All right, the fourth area here is walking worthy by letting the Holy Spirit 
control our lives or letting that new man be in control. It talks about the Spirit here in about four different verses. Verse 3, it talks about the unity of the Spirit. Verse 4, it talks about one Spirit. Verse 23, renewed in Spirit. And verse 30, it says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now, we could talk a lot about the Spirit, but we're not going to take up a lot of time where we know about that. If we're in communication with God and His Word and prayer, we know, I think we can sense the leading of the Spirit. Isaiah talks there about knowing the way and then walking therein. We can sense the direction of the Spirit and may we be challenged to follow the Spirit in our life. Too often, at least in my life, the old man can creep up, our old nature can vent itself, and that's when we have problems in our lives and in, in the church as we let, if we don't allow the Spirit to direct our, our ways. And the fifth and last thing is we need to walk worthy in relation to bitterness and forgiveness. Verse 31 and 32. Now you might say, well, that sounds a little strange. How do you walk worthy in in bitterness? I I worded it that way because we're all subject to bitterness. And I think the key to walking worthy here is that we know what to do with it. Uh, It says here that we're to let it go. We're to put it away. But forgiveness is something that we should be practicing. Put off bitterness and put on forgiveness. Verse 31 there, there's a few words there that we may not use very often. And so I've jotted down the, the uh, meanings here. Bitterness includes hatred and it carries the thought of poison. Wrath is passion, fierceness, and indignation. Anger, violent passion, excitement of mind. Clamor is outcry, tumult and shouting, evil speaking is railing, blasphemy, malice is depravity, trouble, or bad disposition. These are things that this verse calls us to put away. And walking worthy, I think, is that we learn to put those things away. Bitterness destroys a lot of Christians, and, you know, I I think that's all the devil wants is just to get a person bitter and then he's got us. But like that word carries the meaning, it's like a poison. Uh, And if we don't put it away, it can kill us. There's a few verses in in Hebrews. I don't think I'll turn to them. Uh, Hebrews 12, it talks there about the chastening of the Lord and if you remember the verses, it talks about how the, uh, your hands hang down, your feeble knees. But it goes on to say that we are to uh, make straight paths for our feet so that uh, we're not lame and that we are healed. And that carries the thought of being better. 
And then it says, follow peace with, with all men. And uh, I find it interesting that that's interjected there. We're talking about chastening, discipline, training. And then it says, follow peace with all men. And so I think it's obvious that when we get into bad situations, the next thing is we lose our peace, and then the unity goes, and it causes all kinds of problems. But it goes on to say there that we don't fail of the grace of God, and we don't allow the root of bitterness to come in. And that's always impressed me, those verses. It talks of healing, that's getting better. But if you don't watch it and you don't get that healing, you become bitter. It's only one letter different in those two words, better or bitter. And that's the word I. So it's kind of up to us. Do we want to be better or bitter? Uh, it's our choice. So a lot of things can cause bitterness, disappointments, church trouble, death, tragedy, relationships. Uh, and I'll just give one quick example. That man I talked about earlier gave his life story. Uh, later on in his life then, he was doing very well, had victory. And then he noticed a young girl that he had interest in. And he felt like the Lord was saying, this is the one for him. And so young fellows, listen up. He went to his to the girl's father and asked permission to date her. And, his, and the girl's father said, absolutely not. No way. I mean, he, he said the man was stronger than a strong man as far as his attitude. I mean, it, it was just no. I mean, he kind of knew that man's background, and he, I guess he held that against him, but he said, no way will you marry my daughter. Anyway, he told us in that story that it would take three hours to give that story of what happened, but seven years later, he married that girl. That doesn't mean all your troubles will turn out nice, but, but I give that because he could have took that and turned bitter. I mean, it could have destroyed his spiritual life. Uh, it could have destroyed relationships. But I don't know all the story, but he had contact with that man over the years. And anyway, seven years later, uh, he was married to that girl. And again, he's a minister in the church. And it just shows to me he submitted he submitted to God. He submitted to his authorities. And, and it worked out. And he's, he is, you know, is a man serving the Lord. So, in conclusion, how is our walk? How are we walking? Verse 32 says we are to be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Actually, we're all, all the way back to the same thought that we started on. Lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing. Here it says, kindness, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. We're right back to where we started. That's walking worthy. And it says we do that because we have been forgiven. You and I have been forgiven. We are to respond to other people the way God has responded to us. So this morning, am I walking worthy? 
in my life in relation to the gifts that God has given me, in relation to my maturity in my spiritual life, in relation to the putting off and putting on, in relation to the Holy Spirit leading, or have I allowed bitterness and unforgiveness to come into my life? I'd like to close with a little short verse here written by Joseph Hart. He lived in the 1700s, and he was the man that wrote the song, Come Ye Sinners, Poor and Needy. But he writes this little short verse, and I think can be the testimony of every person who is walking worthy of the Lord. It says, This, this is the God we adore, our faithful, unchangeable friend, whose love is as great as his power, and knows neither measure nor end. Tis Jesus the first and the last, whose spirit shall guide us safe home. We'll praise him for all that is past, and trust him for all that's to come. Those first verses is the God that has called us. We adore him, he's faithful, he's unchanging, he's our friend, he has power. And then the last three phrases there should be the way that we walk by the Spirit guiding us home. We'll praise Him for all that's past. We don't allow that to di disrupt our Christian life. And then we trust Him for all that's to come. That's faith. I believe a person that's walking worthy will be walking in such a way. And so Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. May we have a song.